to see you. A couple of faces that I know. Um, nice to see you from the PAL talk system. And I, but as I say, I'm just going to share in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, what it's like now, you know. And I've not needed a drink since March the 17th, 2011. For that, I'm eternally grateful. And that's through a 12-step programming, working, you know, with a sponsor who had a sponsor who had a sponsor who had a sponsor. And this is where this program come from, you know. The Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous has, has given me a, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, you know, I, I'll share with that. I'm born in a, a little seaside town called Amber by the Sea in 1967 on April Fool's Day, which is April the 1st. <laughs> oh, I thought, what? <laughs> As I went through life, you know, that, that bit is like, it come back to haunt me quite a few times, but as I say, I was brought up in a very dysfunctional, violent, alcoholic upbringing, and that didn't make me the alcoholic. You know, the, the, the doctor's opinion tells me, you know, when I read that, that I, I've got a, a threefold illness, and <clears throat> the day I get a day of reprieve contingent on my Fitzgerald's condition, and what I've got to give is, is all. I took a drink at eight and I put it down at 44. And the reason I took that drink for is because I wanted to know what was going on and why was that man I loved, that person that I idolised and looked up to, switch. But I didn't realise Inside that little eight-year-old boy was the alcoholic of me. And that was until I come through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous in 2007. So growing up in that environment, which I grew up in as a, as a young child, you know, I, I witnessed and seen things that I shouldn't have seen. And, it, you know, the age of a... I was, I started writing stuff in the back of my school books telling, you know, about what was going on. And the next so I was whipped out of school, I was whipped in front of a school psychiatrist, you know, and I, I, and I was in trauma therapy. And at 14, you know, <clears throat> I went and violently attacked my father and... I could have murdered him, but I, 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 luckily, you know, my brother-in-law threw us down the staircase and I didn't. So that bit there, me attacking my dad was was the red light for, for, for me to up my up my game. And the next day, I had to go and look at that man in hospital, you know, and I love him to bits. He's 87-year-old, you know, and he, he was born on March the 14th, you know, and it's weird that I've got a sobriety date three days after my dad's birthday and, what I can I can have now is his anniversary of his life, knowing that he's got a son now having an anniversary of AA's life. And he doesn't need to worry about me, and I don't need to worry about what I'm gonna think I was gonna do, you know, and, and that was it. But what I did, you know, I took that next step. And all the time it was fuel infested, it was a drink and it was alcohol, and it was anything else I could get my hands on, you know. I wasn't just the alcoholic, you know, I have that dual bit, but we're here about the alcoholic in me. 
what what did it do to me? It, 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 we hear it so many times, you know, we hear it so many times that it, it lit us up. You know, give us euphoria. I was allowed to, I became the best dancer. I could charm the birds out the trees or anything, you know. To the end of me drinking, where I had nothing. <clears throat> and it mentions in the book, you know, the comprehensible demoralization, i.e. hell. This is where this, this is where this disease takes work. If you're an alcoholic and you think like me and drink like me, it'll take you to that part. So I got my life, you know, I became a joiner. I worked on a building site and it was par and par. Where I'm from in the northeast of England, it's like you, you get up in the morning, you go to work and you drink. And when you're at work, you drink. So the age of 20, I'm lying. In a hospital bed with half me inside sticking out through the through to me alcoholism. You know, that was it was fast, it was furious, it was like anything I did, you know, it was the quick fix. And the consultant says to me, We've just removed half your insides down of your alcoholic issues. You can't drink anymore. And I went, okay. And I stopped. And I stopped that debacle, I stopped that nightmare. But what I didn't do, I didn't change. So I have to change. And if I don't change, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And we hear that. So what I did, the guy handed me a shandy at a party and I didn't have the power to say no. And I took that and I was back at the races. But in between that period of time, there was a scene came out with us, you know, it was high octane music, it was dance, it was... It was the rave scene. And I went from there to there. And in 91, I met the love of my life. In a place, in an, you know, in an exhibition centre in Scotland. And I fell in love with her. But what I didn't realise is how much of the trauma that I was about to unfold right in front of me. So in 94, in my pearls and my wisdom, I did a geographical. I moved north of the border from the northeast of Scotland to find this girl called Kathleen. And in 1996, I was at a party and she was there. And we rekindled whatever was there, you know. <clears throat> that night I walked her home and we started a relationship. She had a little boy. He's 27 next month well yeah i don't know it's past 21 do I? I can't help it and what i get you know is that bit i lifted him up i put a bottle in his mouth and i called him mine and he's called jordan and he's still my flesh and blood today you know even though he's not from me he's part of me so i've got this life and i'm working in a shopping center with my friend you know we're both maintenance joiners and he says to his do you fancy going self-employed and I says, what does that involve? He says, we're just going to make our own company name up and then we'll go limited and then we'll start working. And I did, you know, and it was boom time back then and you know, the, the late 90s. And it was it was funny money. Nine months later, I've got baby number two who's produced and he's 25. 
and he hasn't seen his dad take a drink in nearly half his life now, you know, he, a 12 year of me not drinking is, is a miracle, and that's down to use lot. So I've got two kids, living with a beautiful partner, and a beautiful part of the world, and it's weird that I moved to a village that me, me dad's sister, sister lived there 40 odd years ago. That's just not odd, this is God. Same street, you couldn't have picked this. So we're living together. And then millennium turned and I got a daughter. I've got every man's dream. I've got me princess. And she's 23. So I've got three kids. Life's good. Going fine. Work-wise, everything. And the alcohol wasn't as bad as what it was about to escalate. So that day I woke up in a police cell in a white forensic suit and I can't remember how I got there. Step one, you know, I'm not the power. My ego was massive because I was self-employed. I had the money, I had the bravado, I had the ego, you know, of all being here. And that fatal day when I woke up in that police cell, and I pressed the little buzzer, wanting to get it clean, something, because I'd urinated myself. And the little hatch opened. It wasn't much bigger than me, me screen, you know. And my little head come to it, and I went, what am I in for? And he went, you're in for murder. And he shut the hatch. And for him closing the hatch, open the door to hand me the mutton bucket to give us something to change into, my head exploded. And the only way I can describe this is a jigsaw puzzle, a thousand piece bigger, 5,000 pieces, and somebody's got a hold of it and thrown it up in the air and it landed and there was bits and bobs put back together. Some of it was shattered on the floor and that was how it was. And, and I asked them what day it was. This is it's early Saturday morning. And I lay in that cell <clears throat> until Monday morning and everything more come back, bits and bobs of it. Cut a long story short, that smashed me into a bedroom and told her to get downstairs and I tried to hit her with a chair and she moved and she left with two of the kids and left with my little boy, Caleb. And, and all I could see was that picture of his face looking at me and me looking back at him saying, Daddy's going to be all right. And I got charged, you know, and I got 27 weeks of an anger management course with guys sitting in a room for 27 weeks of my life talking about me anger because I was an angry, irritable, discontent little boy. I was an angry, irritable, discontent human being. I was angry. But it didn't mention about why I got angry and why I got upset because I was fueling it with drink. So I got that released and we got. I got back out and I got back with Kathleen and my life was going all right and I was doing okay and, you know, and, 2004, she asked me to become my husband, and it was the most amazing day of my life, Valentine's Day. And I, I turned into a bit of a charade, you know, and we couldn't get married under her faith because uh, it was children out of wedlock and all that, and we ended up getting married in a, in a, a registry office. And baby number four appeared. You know, and he's just on a 12-hour shift, and he's called Shane, he's 18. He was six and a half when I stopped drinking. 
So that's where I was, you know, I had four kids, beautiful wife. And they tell me the yes was coming. And the drinking started going up because I started working for myself. And I started getting the jobs and I started getting the ego and I started pricing. And now I was working for people that drove to work in Rolls Royces and Bentleys. And I was stroking myself and I was thinking, I've arrived, I'm bigger, I'm better. And this is where we can get, you know. Step one, I'm not the power. So it tells me in the two parts of what was read out, you know. I admitted I was powerless over alcohol. My life was unmanageable. The manager's ability can still be there, but I admitted I was powerless over alcohol. So what have we got to do? We've got to regain that by finding what a power that does exist. Step two. I came to believe in a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. You know, the insane behavior of the alcoholic of my type was taking a drink while sober. Mm. Doesn't compute. Why was I doing it? Because I didn't have a higher power. I didn't have a defense against the first drunk. I didn't have a defense against the first drink or anything else. I still don't have the defense against the first packet of biscuits. I drink water alcoholically. I eat alcoholically. I can't help it. I won't die by eating a packet of biscuits but I will die by drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. And this is what this disease is. It's a killer. So how do we get the freedom? How do we get this? By working. By looking at and helping others. You know, the six simple bits of this program was trust God, clean house and help others. And for me, it's that, you know, having a trust in your higher power. I don't know what your higher power is tonight. I don't know what it is, you know, but I know what mine is. And I got that connection and I got that, you know, I came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. So step three tells me I rely on the power, not self. You're not in charge of this anymore. You do not. Take control. Self-will can run right. I can take, I can see me prayers in the morning, right? Walk down the stairs. The time I've got the kettle boiled, my self-will back. I call it the itty-bitty committee of the inside of my head, which is armed and dangerous and locked and loaded and ready to go. So when I've done that, you know, I've got to remember what what was. So I'm sitting there with the, the four kids of my life and the introduction of Alcoholics Anonymous was at a party when a gentleman was sat there, you know, taking a substance of his choice off a table. And he says, you want to go to one of these meetings my dad runs Sunday night? And he tells us where to go. And I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I walked in the rooms and I gave my surname because I didn't know nothing about what we were. And I sat there and I listened to two gentlemen describe the illness to the team. Describe once they took that first drink. They got drunk. No, I didn't think it was the first one. I thought it was the top. Whatever I drunk. It's the first one that gets you drunk. And the defense against the first drunk is to connect to a higher power and hand your will and your care to the God of your understanding. And for me, it's the good 
ordinary day or the great outdoors. No, I'm blessed to live on the East Coast. I'm blessed to watch the sunrise. I'm blessed to watch the sunset on that river behind me. I'm blessed with everything around me because what he has done for me, it's given me the blessings and the lessons. So I sat there in the rooms of AA looking at them 12 steps and I wasn't doing any of it because I seen the word God. And I couldn't get my head around. Why do you want me to believe in something I don't want to believe in? And I couldn't get it. You were trying to tell us it's a God of your understanding and it's a God of this and that and that. And I just thought, no. So I sponsored myself. Get in. What the absolute pleasure to look after yourself will. No, it was absolutely insane. So I read the big book and I went, well, I've done worse than that. I've had more than that because I wasn't getting what was in there. I was reading, but not reading between the lines. And I wasn't working with a sponsor. I was working with me. That year in December 2007, my life took a different step. My wife got diagnosed with cancer. My disease went party simple. And I drank. The day she told me she was diagnosed, I had a drink. And then I went home. Drunk, and I give her flowers, and I tell everything would be all right, and the yet was to come. 2009, I lost my license by putting my son in a car. I was only going to have an aperitif. Now, what alcoholic goes into the shop and buys a litre and a half of vodka? That's normal behaviour, isn't it? I was only going to have a couple. That couple turned into me drinking that much that I had a grand voyager and my me middle, me oldest son had to pull off the roll on a winter's night and I got charged and I drank 135 minutes, blew 135 minutes of alcohol. Three and a half times over the limit. Thank God I didn't cause an RTA. So I got my license taken off us. But the first thing in my mind was when I got out that police said, where's that car? Even though I'd just been charged and the charge sheet was unbelievable. I was getting done for kidnapping me son. Getting done, you know, holding him. And I got it down to the DD, but I had a drink, you know, because I knew there was drink in the car, so I drank. And I came back to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I sat there again, the untreated alcoholic in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I started picking up resentments against Hughes Law. If that old timer tells me to think, 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 easy does it, let go and let God, not again. And he used to come to me, so say, here he comes, you're you. You'll sit at the front, you'll read how it works. As you sit at the front, you get sober quicker. And I thought literally I was going to get sober quicker than you lot. How deluded was that? So I didn't do anything. When a fish swims in a river, it needs freshness and it needs life. And when it goes into a stagnant bit of the river, the oxygen in that will kill it. And that's all I was doing to myself. I was isolating. I was sitting by myself and my own thoughts and feelings, worrying about what was going to happen. My wife had cancer and I was just causing mayhem. I couldn't get my head around this bit. I couldn't get my head around. You asking me to believe in God when my wife had been given cancer. Every night I pray to God, give me the cancer, let me die. Give me the cancer, let me die. Give me the cancer, let me die. Now I understand God had a bigger plan for me. I will rely on power, not self. That's magic, that, by the way. I rely on a power, not self. 
But what have I do? Give me care and my will of a God of my understanding. And God got me. March 11th was my daughter's birthday. And I ruined it because the next day I took a drink. And I come up with that blackout. On the 16th of March 2011, for that I'm eternally grateful. And something says to me, get up. And I got up and I was all over the shop. And the next day I got up and I didn't take a drink. And that was the 17th of March 2011. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. For that, I've been given a gift beyond my wildest dreams that I get up every day and I don't need a mile on the substance and I don't need a drink and I don't need anything. I don't take anything more than a cup of coffee. And that's a gift. That's a gift to get. So them 12 steps are there for a reason. So now I start digging into this program. And I come back to my home group and I got smacked with a big book and a guy says, I'm your sponsor and I'm taking you through this. And I got kidnapped for the next 90 days of my life. They took me to meetings. They took me through the program. I had a probation officer who worked with me. I had everything. It was, my head was battered. But I needed it. I needed to be brainwashed. I needed to get this through me. This Get this through Carl. Get this through Carl. Get this through Carl. So we started reading and we find out in the doctor's opinion what I suffered from. I suffered from the threefold illness. And then Bill's story, and it tells me in solution, we are all different walks of life, but we've got one common thing. We're alcoholic. So we can recover. We can get this. That book describes us. That book just it tells us. When we go to Ikea and we get the manual for making a wardrobe and you leave a bit out, and you wonder why it's a bit wobbly and it's a bit shaky, it's going to drop. So step one's got to be done correctly. You leave anything out of these 12-step programs, you ain't going to get well. You're just going to wobble and fall. And that's what I was doing with my recovery. I was wobbling through it. So the gentleman that took me through it, I mean, I owe my life. Step four, I caused most of my problems. Whoa, what? Me? Never. Did what? How? As the book shows us, laid out what part you took, what happened. And then you find out that you haven't got any shortcomings. You haven't got any defects of character. Me? Me? <laughs> Little old me? What? I'm that? Yes. We mentioned earlier, you know, the whack-a-mole. Defects are like that. They come up, they come down, they come up, they come down, they come up. I can get up in the morning, as I say to you, go downstairs, turn the kettle on. I've got 10 of them following us down the stairs because they're part of my makeup. They're not going to go away. But I ask God on a daily basis to let them, you know, please, God, have all of me, good and bad. So what has it done for me? It turned my life into a person that I could actually face reality and face fear. 29th of March 2011, I had to face the biggest, biggest reality check of my life. When my wife got told her cancer was stage four and there was nothing they could do for her. Boom. What? Did I drink? No. I sat there and looked at it. It was the size of a saucer, the tumour. And it smashed through her breastbone. It is cracked it in half. It burst her skin. And she didn't complain. She just got on with her life. And I looked in her beautiful eyes and I looked and I thought, what are you going to say here that's going to keep this right? 
and I did that. A pinky promise. As I walked out the oncology room, I said, to sickness and health, to having to hold with this day forward. We went away and we talked about how we're going to, you know, break it to the kids and how we're going to get on with our life. And we went to a place called Dalgetty Bay, which was in over the bridge in Scotland. And we're walking along the beach, you know, and out the corner of my eye, I seen something glint in the sand. And I run across and I grab and I washed it in the, in the water and I brought it back. And I says, do that with your hand. She says, pardon? I says, just do that with your hand, please. She says, what for? I says, I'm begging you, just do that with your hand. So she did that with her hand and I put the top in the bottle. And what that was, was the old merchant seaman or whoever they were, throwing a bottle over and it was the cork stop at the top of the bottle. And I've still got it to this day. So I put the plug in the jug and I got honest with Carl and I got on with my program and I got on with God and I got on with the 12 steps. So when we started writing that out and we find out, you know, and we get this, we got on over life. I give that girl peace. I give my family peace. They could rely on me. The trauma of a woman going through what she was going through, it, it, it was unbelievable, you know. She put all that moment of her life. We went away to a holiday in Auburn. It's my spiritual home, you know. It's a beautiful part of Scotland and I went to a meeting on a Sunday night and I sat in the rooms of AA with two guys, you know, and he's just celebrated, you know, Harvey's 58 years sober there. And I was in that meeting with him, Duncan was there and all. And I looked at these old timers and I thought, they've got something I want. And use old timers and you tell me how it works. And you told me this is never going to fail, Carl, if you just follow our path. Rarely have we seen a person fail who's sorry for our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. Step five was massive for me. My step five was the most amazing gift that I've ever been given. And it was my most amazing gift that I ever give away. July the 18th, 2011, I sat in the garden with my beautiful wife as she phoned me at four o'clock in the morning. And we spoke. And she asked me, Am I going to die? And I went, yes. And that was the most truthful, honest thing I've ever said in all my life to her, the whole time we're together. And I says, I now need to give you something if you'll accept this. And she took it. And she forgave me. And she accepted that she'd married an alcoholic. But what you've seen is a change in me because of this 12-step program, because of you beautiful people, because you lit my life up. You changed me from that destitute, four-wall drunk that woke up in that flat in Armadale Road in Broxburn. It looked like the toilet had gone wrong in train spot in my flat. There was everything in it, and it was, it was destitute. But something had grabbed me and something held me and something calmed me and something brought me back to the other. And I didn't take a drink. There was drink everywhere, but I didn't take it. So when that day come to tell that girl that I needed to tell you this, we spoke about it. We talked about where we were going to go and how we're done. She says, you know what it is? I'll not be bothered if you have a drink. I says, I'll not. She says, you've made so many false promises to me. I says, this time I mean it. And I meant it. 
she's probably not thinking. Mm. And I didn't. So we trottled off to the to the hospice that night that day, you know, and it was it was emotional because I had to get everybody there. And we all went in and we put her into the room and I left her that night and bless her, she'd went to the size 22 with her emphysema, she'd blew up and I got money to go and get a new gym jams. And I says, I'll see you in the morning. And I says, I'll do a knee meeting. And I says, I'll go to Livingston. And she just went, oh, you and your bloody ee You and that ee That's all you. <laughs> and I went, okay. I says, I'll go and I'll leave you. And I got to the bottom of the driveway to get in that car and a lovely text message come through. She says, I'm really sorry for what I said. She says, I know you need it. And I know it's part of your life. And she knew. I went home that night and I put my phone down and it started <clears throat> buzzing, so I just thought I'd not answer. I rang the hospice. I says, how is she? She says, she's all right. And about two hours later, my phone didn't stop. And I flipped it over. And there it was, the Marie Curie St. Edinburgh. So I answered the phone. This says, you better get in. So we've got mum, dad. My best mate, my eldest son, and off we went. And I walked into that hospice and she says to me, I want to go home. And I said, you can't. And she growled at me. Except that when I got her ready and I laid her to rest. And as she was passing, the most euphoric experience I can only describe to me was unbelievable what happened that day. As Kathleen's energy was leaving her body, there was a massive big vortex of something come back. My feet was on the ground, my head was on the ceiling, I was being drawn out, I was being pulled. And a light came and it opened up and she ran to the person that I first met. She turned into that beautiful woman with that lovely curly hair and she blew me a kiss and she disappeared and she ran. And it shut and it come like, ah, I've never felt so much peace. I've never felt so much calm. I've never felt so much happiness. Because when I looked down, there was a smile as beautiful as anything. And I kissed her head and I says, good night. And that was at 3 p.m. on the 19th of July. She waited for the school bell to ring before she died. Because in Scotland at three o'clock, the schools get out. And then I had to get a reality check. Whoa. I'm 120 days into recovery. Where am I going to go? This is when EA kicked in. And this is when Uselock grabbed me. And you protected me. You held me. And you natured. You nurtured me. You showed me. You showed me what I can do. And what have I got to do? Not take that first drink and you won't get drunk. Simple. Whatever's going to be, is going to be. And the next day, you know, I woke up a single parent with four kids and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and they're thinking, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? When I mentioned step four, you know, I found out all these defects of character there, you know, I'll stop claiming and start trying. It's massive for me, trying to be a better person today. Try and be a better dad. Try and be a better human being to society. Do you know, since I've stopped drinking, the police force don't need to worry about me. Since I've stopped drinking, the hospitals don't need to worry about me. 
I'm not a problem in their life anymore. Whoa. I went from not being in the papers to being in the papers for the right reasons. The right reasons for me being in the papers now is because what I do. So what did I do? I started raising money for charity for cancer. I started raising money for Macmillan. Hey, give me the capabilities. I started running. And I started raising and raising the bar to the distance, the time and effort I put in. The step seven, how I please guide me. Whoa, what a great outdoors. Let's do this. Where you went, I went from 5K to 100K. I've run from one one side of England to the other. You know, I've run from England to Scotland. I've done everything and more. And I've given it all back. And I've raised it. I've jumped everywhere. I've been dressed as a mug in Macmillan. I got beat by a penguin in Argus. But I knocked the penguin out the way to beat the penguin. The penguin wasn't beating me. So what's A done for me? A allowed me to become a parent. A allowed me to become a dad. A allowed to become a son to that man that I nearly killed. He's 87. My mum's 86. Because every time I ring her, she says, I'm 86. <laughs> and she tells us on a daily basis, but what I can do today, I can put my hand in the door and not have any fear to open that door. Thank you, A. Thank you for that gift. Gift. Oh, it's a gift, man. To walk in and be welcomed. To sit down and have a cup of coffee and look and tell my mom I love her. And give my mom a kiss on the face and give my dad a kiss on the face. And tell my Benz I love them on a daily basis. Thank you, EA. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you've done for me. So being that parent, we relocated after I got my first year of sobriety, you know, and I spoke to my sponsor. He says, yeah, he goes, and I went, what? He says, so I went, what? He says, what about it? And I was devastated. I was like, ah, oh, what? I thought there'd be fireworks, I thought there'd be fanfares, you know. He's made it, he's done it, he's got it. Yeah. I just got told to keep coming back and keep it simple, stupid, because get on with the program and get out there in action. I tried to put me Superman underpants on of Alcoholics Anonymous and I tried to become the bravado, you know, what I'm going to do is see everybody. Because I'm a yes sober. I know everything. You know nothing. You know nothing. It's a daily reprieve contingent of your fit spiritual condition, not what you think. And I got introduced to a beautiful man in Pal Talk, you know. I can mention his name today, you know, because he became my sponsor. John Lawrence, God rest his soul. He got 33 years before he lost his life. And I flew to, to Australia, you know, and I met a few of them from down there. And I went from Amble to Adelaide, AA. I got on an aeroplane and I sat for 24 hours on a plane and I landed, you know. I didn't have a drink to get through it. The best part was when I landed in Sydney Airport and I seen everybody scanning their passports. And I'm being a little tourist like me, so I scanned my passport. And I walked up to the control and it went, denied. <laughs> Go to the, and I was like, What? My face dropped. I was sweating. She says, stand there. The changed over. I wasn't getting into the country. My heart was going 150 miles an hour. I thought I'm going to get put in the back room, strip search, and put back in an aeroplane. What it was, my passport photograph was when I was drinking. I was fat. It didn't recognize my face. And she's looking at me, and she's looking at the passport, looking at me, looking at the passport. And I'm telling you what it is. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. She went, truth, mate, you've lost some weight. Enjoy your holiday. Oh, if you needed a drink, I could have got it and I didn't do it. So what did I do? You know, I went there and I had the most beautiful time. 
and I come back. And step eight for me is that I will stop controlling others. Oh, man, that's a blessing. <laughs> yes, I'm not in charge of you lot anymore. I don't need to be. And what you think of me, I'm not really bothered. Because <laughs> that's what it's about. It's not about, you know, trying to be that Superman. Yay, save the world, Carl. You're Alcoholics Anonymous. Fly around, hey, tell everybody, I've got a solution. No, mate, calm down. Sit still. My fifth year, you know, when I got my five-year coin, you know, and I had a bit of a, a blimp in my life, you know, and, and this is what we'll get, we'll get that. And I got taken into the, into the hospital, you know, and I got told that, you know, that I suffered from this. And I got labels. Yes, I've got more letters than a doctor. And he gave me the PTSD. He gave me the, what was it, EUPD? Emotional Unstability Personality Disorder. Oh, oh, that sounds fancy. And he gave me PTSD and he gave me bipolar and he gave me ADHD. Man, so I was, my name's Carl. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I don't need them labels. I don't want to live in them. I know they're there. So then I went back to college and I re-educated myself. Yes, I went back to college at 50. It can be done. And I was sitting with kids my son's age, and they were calling me granddad, and I got through it. I got me health and social care diploma. I got student of the year. I got distinctions because I put in the effort. And I started volunteering, and I started working with the street homeless. This is what AA's done for me. It allowed me to become a member of society. It allowed me to be responsible. It allowed me to work with the street homeless of my county of Northumberland. It allowed me to go out and sit and talk to them. It allowed me to speak to them. It allowed me to sit down and sit their level and say, I know where you've been. And when they said, no, you don't, I say, yes, I was. I used to live on the streets. And I used to drink like you and think like you. And then it took me to a different level. It took me to the housing officer where I looked after people's well-being. So step nine, you know, I will show more forgiveness. And that's to me and to others around me. You know, I've got a beautiful mirror down the stairs. Every morning I go down and say, I love you, Carl. But somebody might not tell me that today. And that's what I get from AA. AA has given me that beautiful gift of love, compassion, and care. It's a loving program, you know. Me to learn to love you and you to love me. And accept me for what I am. So it took me to the next step of dealing with my kids. They went through their trauma. They went through their badness. But I didn't drink on it. The suicide attempts. My son taking drugs. My daughter taking drugs. My son trying to kill himself. She trying to kill his life. And his life that blew me apart. But what I didn't do, I didn't take a drink on it. So what step nine's taught me, you know, is have a look at what you're giving back and what you're taking, you know. The damage that others have done to me, you know, I've made amends and I'll make amends and it's an ongoing program. I've got to keep coming. I've got to keep doing. I've got to keep doing what suggested and God told me every morning. you got to be ready. You get up and be ready for this step nine. When it comes at any time, any second, any day, any minute, any time, you've just got to have the willingness to accept that. Step 10, I will do good more and bad less. It's amazing that. That I'm not in me syndromes anymore. The handcuff syndrome, the hospital syndrome, the sanitarium syndrome, the institutionalised part of life. I'm not in that. I'm not in that part of my life anymore. 
but I can spot check me at any point in any second in any sin. And being a parent, for them that's a parent, when you have an argument with your kids and something goes wrong, we recoil, but we don't drink and we accept. And I'll say to them, you know, I think I got it wrong. And sometimes they'll say, no, it was me. Prayer and meditation is massive for me, you know. I'm blessed to live where I live. And it goes sadly wrong sometimes. <laughs> when I came back in the early recovery, I used to sit down on the beach, you know. And I used to pray on the rocks. And the nosy neighbours would ring me mummy. And my mummy would ring me. What are you doing? What? Why are you on your knees on the beach praying? I said, it doesn't matter, ma'am. God has my corner and God understands what I'm doing. And I says, all you need to know is I'm not drinking today. And that's what she accepts. She knows her son tonight will put his head on the pillow and he will not take a drink. He knows. And who knows? My higher power. And my higher power is I watch the sunrise and I watch the sunset. I put my feet in the water and I feel connected. I can't stop the tide coming in. I can feel the wind on my face. I know there's an energy there. And step 12, I will confess to share this. I will grasp myself up on a daily basis to the best of my ability because guess what secrets in there make you sick. The mind is the most powerful, dangerous machine that was invented, and it will kill you. 95% of your thought process is lies. It's not the truth. So how do we get through what we've just come through? That 12 steps that I've just went through in my life saved my bacon. So now I'm a manager. Yes, I became a manager of a company. What the? From the alcoholic, I used to pee yourself, feces, to the person is now. I look after a company called Full Circle Recovery, and we take people in from every walk of life, and we put them in an abstinence-based program. And we help them get off what they need to get off. And when you see them at their worst, shaking and sweating, saying, I can't do this, to pick their first 24-hour coin up to their first month's chip to their two-month, their three-month, their four-month, their five-month, thank you, God. Every day I get a blessing. Every day I get a lesson. But let's have a thought about the person that didn't make it to the room tonight. Let's have a thought about the person that didn't get through the door tonight. That's the bit I've got to remember. We are lucky, we are chosen, we are blessed to be here. My life is beyond my wildest dreams. My kid's life is beyond my wildest dreams. My wife smiles every day and every day I get a gift. They say, it's another day I haven't taken a drink. And that's all I've got to do. So my name is Carl. I am a very grateful recovered alcoholic. And if nobody's told you today, there's 74 miracles in this room, and that's including myself. Take care. God bless. It's been a humbling pleasure to be allowed me to be your speaker tonight. Thank you. I'll leave it there.